Welcome to the O'Reilly Data Show. I'm your host, Ben Lorica. My guest today is Xiaoshan Yu. He's the co-founder of a startup called PerceptIn.io. He's also a PMC member of the Luxio Project. And previous to Perceptin, he was a senior architect of autonomous driving at Baidu USA. We talked about uh, the tech stack for autonomous vehicles, which contrary to what most people think, consists of a lot more than just deep learning. We also talked about personal robotics and uh, AI systems that power such uh, technologies. I hope you enjoyed the episode. So Xiaoshan Liu, welcome to the data show. Thank you. So let's start by introducing you to our audience. So what did you study in school? Uh, I did computer engineering, a PhD in computer engineering, particularly computer architecture uh, at UC Irvine. And I think uh, you mentioned to me before that uh, part of your work at school uh, was hardware. Oh, yeah, of course. I start actually started with hardware. And, uh, and uh, it'll soon be interesting to uh, hear how all of the things you learned in school now translates to what you're doing now. But uh, before we get there, let's talk a little bit about how we met. And I think we met when you were still at Baidu working on... Uh, Big data infrastructure, particularly around Spark and right. Tachyon, which is now called Aluxio. So tell us what uh, what you were doing at Baidu. And uh, so, by the way, uh, just for our audience, uh, describe kind of the Baidu office here in Silicon Valley. Right. Yeah, I started at Baidu about two years back. Uh, the first project I got was to use Spark and Tachyon to improve our query performance. Uh, back then, it was two years back, uh, Start just got started, and uh, Alexio or Tachyon barely got started. Um, the problem we faced was that uh, Baidu's product managers come in every day, they enter the same query to look at the market performance uh, of the day before. And then each time they enter this, the query, it takes about 30 minutes to finish. Um, when we have multiple queries, then it would take whole morning uh, from the, the product manager. So our target is to solve this problem. So the first step we took was to introduce Spark into the computation pipeline, and it did improve performance by threefold, uh, 3x performance improvement, but that was not enough. Uh, still takes about 10 to 20 minutes to finish a query. Then we brought in Aluxio, which was called Tachyon at the time, uh, as a cache layer. And then on top of that, we built some prefetching engine to get data in before the user actually query for that. By combining these components together, we achieved 30x end-to-end performance improvement. So... It sounds like what you were working on were uh, things that uh, were production, so they weren't research. So my impression, or at least uh, the impression, uh, of, the impression of most people is uh, Baidu out here in Silicon Valley is Baidu research, but that's not the case, right? That's not the case. We have uh, two branches here. One is Baidu Research, which is the AI lab uh, led by uh, Andrew Eng, and then. And we have a R&D center, which is doing projects like big data, autonomous driving, and so on. So, by the way, I just came back from Beijing, where we had the first ever Strata Beijing, which was a resounding success. Um, and one of the things that uh, took me by surprise was uh, how popular Aluxio was, is in China. I mean, Spark, of course, is hugely popular, but Aluxio, the sessions on Aluxio, the office hours of the Aluxio team were packed. Uh, so... There's more than just Baidu, apparently, using Aluxio in uh, in China. Of course, uh, because it does solve an important problem, which is the data problem. Uh, how to share data uh, between different pipelines and uh, how to have a centralized repository for data uh, is still a problem to be solved. Uh, and then when you need real-time performance, this kind of in-memory computing is very important. And Aluxio targets this problem 
Uh, that's why it's very popular in China. So at some point, you shifted in inside Baidu from uh, being a big data infrastructure guy to someone who was working on the back end infrastructure for autonomous driving, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting shift. But uh, uh, coincidentally, I've been always interested in robotics and autonomous stuff. Uh, so that's a good shift for me, actually. Um, go ahead. So then you started. Uh, so did you uh, start working with some of the... Uh, kind of deep learning teams within Baidu? Yes, we built a uh, distributed uh, deep learning infrastructure based on Spark and Paddle, which they uh, just released yesterday. Uh, yeah, yeah, literally. So describe Paddle. Paddle is a uh, deep learning engine, uh, just like Cafe and TensorFlow. Uh, it's been used internally in Baidu for over three years. Uh, it's been used for different projects, say uh, advertisement, uh, image search, as well as autonomous driving. So who are the who are the users within Baidu? Do they have to be really skilled programmers? They have to be fairly skilled, <laughs> not uh, expert style. Uh, yeah, yeah. The yeah. users, including say autonomous driving team, they need to uh, train some model to recognize the objects they encounter on the road. Uh, and then image search, they need to uh, recognize what kind of objects are in the picture, such that they can uh, generate advertisement. Uh, towards that kind of uh, image search. No, but so, I, I guess my question is, uh, I haven't looked uh, at Paddle at all yet. So, uh, you know, is it something a Python programmer can use? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, there's a Python interface. Uh, uh, so if you are familiar with Python programming, yeah, you, you do. Uh, you, you can use that interface to program uh, a Paddle. And uh, so what, uh, so, it's, so Paddle is distributed framework right off the bat. Yes, uh, it's designed to be distributed. The first generation of Paddle uses MPI uh, protocol. Um, and nowadays, the, the, one of the projects I led at Baidu Research USA was to build a Spark-based framework to wrap around Paddle such that it's easier to manage. I see, I see. Cool. So then uh, you must be proud to see this uh, project uh, see the light of day and open source. Yeah, finally we see it coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so now I, I think the uh, next step for Baidu is to really uh, make it easy for people to use Paddle and evangelize and, and uh, go out there and give talks like at Strata. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then uh, autonomous driving. So you're in the process right now of writing a, a long blog post for me about autonomous driving. And, uh, right. Uh, a while back when we talked, you said, well, you know, if you think about autonomous driving, there's some key technologies that you need in order to have a world-class autonomous driving system. So walk us through some of what you think are some of the key essential technologies in uh, self-driving vehicles. Sure. Let's break it down into two parts. Uh, the first part is algorithm. Uh, what kind of algorithm will you use in autonomous driving? And the second part is about system. When you have all these different kinds of algorithms, you need a very efficient system to bind these things together such that they work together efficiently. So let's start with algorithm. In algorithm, there are three essential parts in uh, autonomous driving. The first part is sensing. Uh, it's how, how do you gather data about your environment. Uh, for sensing, we have different types of sensors. The uh, main type of sensor used in today's autonomous driving is LIDAR, or laser-based uh, radar. Uh, the LiDAR, uh, they generate a, a laser beam, then they, based on the reflectance of the object, they can measure uh, how far away the object is from you. And then based on that, they can uh, do localization. They can localize your vehicle. Uh, using LiDAR, you can do uh, map generation and so on. But there's a, a main problem with LiDAR is that it's very expensive today. Say the Valodyne uh, 64 beam LiDAR, it will cost $100,000. 
so that would add additional cars to your autonomous driving uh, vehicle. So uh, then there, but I, there, I think, um, Xiaoshan, there are people who are trying to do autonomous driving without LiDAR, but you mentioned that uh, there's challenges if you don't do LiDAR, right? There are a lot of challenges. Uh, if you, uh, the main uh, effort today is to say whether we can use a passive camera to replace LiDAR. Um, but uh, LiDAR gives you very precise data, and it will even work in uh, very dark environments. But if you use camera, lighting becomes a, a major problem. Say at night, uh, the environment looks very different from, uh, say, in the morning. So there are still many challenges to solve. But then the cost that you just uh, stated there, man, that, that's too high, right? Yeah, for LiDAR, it's very high, but there are some efforts to bring down the cost. Say this new company called Quanergy, they are targeting to produce LiDAR under 200 US dollars. We'll see how that goes. Right, 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 right. Okay, so that's sensing. Yeah, that's uh, sen- par- uh, one part of sensing. Uh, and then for sensing, they're also, they use GPS, uh, like everybody else use in their uh, car today. GPS plus a uh, sensor called IMU. It's also used for uh, localization. So what's, and I- then we what's, camera, I- what's IMU? Oh, I'm sorry. It's an initial measurement unit. It measures acceleration of your car in X, Y, Z direction. Also, there's a gyroscope to uh, measure the angular acceleration or angular v, uh, velocity of your current motion. Uh, so by using GPS and IMU data, you can kind of derive your current location, but it's not very precise. Uh, so people usually today, they usually combine the data from GPS, IMU, and LIDAR to localize the vehicle to centimeter accuracy. Wow. And besides that, we, we do use camera uh, for sensing because you need to sense, say, the pedestrians in front of you, the car next to you. Uh, we use uh, vision-based technology to do that. There's one more sensor. It's radar. Uh, we use radar for, uh, mainly for uh, ob- obstacle avoidance. Uh, it's a reactive mechanism. Say, if all the above uh, sensors fail to recognize that there's an object in front of you, then you have this radar. They can detect, say, objects five to ten meters away from you. Uh, then this radar is hooked up directly to the control system, such that when it detects this object in front of you, it will drive the car away from the object auton- uh, autonomously. So, does the object detection use deep learning? There is. Uh, that's the second part I want to talk about. Uh, so, we just covered sensing. Uh, for algorithm, the second part, once you get all this sensing data, it will go into the perception pipeline. Uh, to me, perception, there are three major components. The first one is localization. That's how you localize your vehicle. And then based on the localization uh, information, you can uh, make decisions about uh, where to navigate to. And the second part of perception is object recognition. We can use deep learning technology, um, use the camera data to recognize the objects around you. For, for example, one very uh, common use case is traffic light. Traffic lights are designed for human, uh, such that when you see a red, green, you go ahead. Uh, but for autonomous vehicle, it also needs a mechanism to understand the traffic light. So usually they uh, in front of the car, they have a camera pointing to the direction of the traffic light such that it can recognize whether it's red, whether it's green, such that it can understand uh, human-based traffic signals. Um, then there's a third part of perception, which is object tracking. Uh, your car autonomously on a highway, for example, you want to know uh, where your next, uh, where the car next to you is doing. Uh, it might crash into you such that you want to avoid that. So you want to track the car or the objects next to you. Then we use deep learning based uh, object tracking uh, mechanism to do that. So it seems like from what you describe, a lot of the technologies is really in the data gathering and sensing side, right? That's correct. And, but then uh, when it gets written about in the media, there's a lot of emphasis on the deep learning aspect. But uh, really, without all of these sensors, which are very expensive, you don't have much of a self-driving car. 
<laughs> of course. Uh, just like human, you have to be able to see, then yeah. you yeah, 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 yeah. decide, you, you can make decisions. So the deep learning aspect of it, a lot of the computation is done uh, locally, right? That's correct. Uh, that's one of the topics I want to cover uh, later on the system side. That's a very interesting uh, topic to discuss. Yeah. So if you think of a traditional AI system, you have perception, you have reasoning, you have planning, you have knowledge, right? So does right. self-driving car have uh, all these components? Yeah, it has all that. Uh, so now we have covered sensing and perception. Now the vehicle is able to understand its environment, but uh, we still have not yet covered is how it makes a decision. What's the AI part? How does it make a decision uh, based on this information? So uh, the last part of the algorithm is called decision uh, pipeline. The decision pipeline to me, again, uh, includes three major components. The first part is path planning. So given that you have a map, uh, then you know you want to go from point A to point B, then how do you plan your path? And how do you issue instructions to the vehicle to go from point A to point B? That's the path planning part. Uh, already many research papers and uh, uh, famous algorithms used in path planning, the most famous being the A-star algorithm. The second part of decision is called prediction. We just discussed that uh, the perception uh, part, there's uh, object tracking to track the object nearby. Then we have a prediction algorithm based on the tracking results. We can predict whether this vehicle is going to crash into the current vehicle or whether the pedestrian in the next two seconds, you might be able to hit the pedestrian. Uh, then based on this prediction, we derive the object or obstacle avoidance decisions. How do we drive away from these uh, obstacles or, or moving objects such that we don't get into an accident? So, so if you combine are, all these things together, sensing the perception. Are there a lot of handcrafted rules then? So it's a rule-based engine? Uh, yes. Uh, today, uh, it's mostly rule-based, but uh, there are many research uh, to use um, reinforcement learning, for example, the DeepQ network to train these networks to make autonomous decisions about, say, prediction, uh, obstacle avoidance, path planning, and so on. So deep learning is doing a part here as well. But those are kind of at the research stage. Still research stage, correct. Uh, but in production systems, mostly are still rule-based. I see. Interesting, interesting. So what, uh, what kinds of things do self-driving cars struggle with at this point? The current, the current uh, generation of uh, self-driving cars, what kinds of things do they struggle with? Well... Uh, you mean from a, say, point well, of view of a self-driving car yeah, what, company? What, or no, 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 no. Just uh, based on the current technology, what kinds of, just ta in, what kinds of tasks do self-driving uh, technology now have a hard time with? Like, oh, okay. okay. Uh, first one is uh, cost. <laughs> Still very expensive today. Uh, we can lower cost in every single uh, aspect of self-driving car, for, for example, hardware. Uh, for example, uh, the sensors. Uh, right, 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 right. But the I second guess, thing I, I is guess, uh, uh, regulation. Uh, the, the types of things that uh, you can do as a driver, as a human driver, uh, what, are right. the, what, what are some of the things that you can do that a self-driving car has a hard time doing hmm. at, the, at this point? At this point. So uh, would it be like fog? That's a very interesting question. So... Well, I can stop the car anytime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I can, I can do a lot of uh, dangerous stuff. Uh, the self-driving car would not do. Uh, so I think that's a very interesting question. Uh, I actually never thought about it, but I, I guess it's the human-machine interface. Uh, we pay a lot of attention today at, um, say, perception, sensing, and so on, but not too much at the human-machine interface. How do we interact with the car such that it feels very natural? Such that uh, a driver can feel that it's there's no difference between 
a machine driving itself and himself driving the machine. Yeah, because there's but, different, to be honest, there's different levels of uh, these technologies, right? So there's some that are just helping you park your car. There's some that are... That's correct. Th there are some that basically are more advanced cruise control, right? Right, um, that's correct. And and the diff actually, uh, one of the things that's interesting is the different uh, companies who are in the space are uh, going about uh, these technologies differently, right? So, for example, I think I believe Google self-driving car may not even have uh, assumes that the driver won't be intervening, right? Is that right? I think I'm not very familiar with Google, but. Uh... I'm not sure whether the driver can intervene uh, right, with that right. vehicle in the process of self-driving. Or I, I think it can intervene, but I, I think that, I guess, that they also have cars where maybe there's not even a steering wheel, I guess is what I read. Right, I right, guess. right. So at this point, it seems like at least the deep learning aspect of the object recognition is, uh, is pretty good, right? So the next step, it seems like, is to give it actual intelligence using reinforcement learning, move away, move away from rule-based systems. And then also harder to project is how you lower the cost for some of the advanced sensors. Right. So then uh, when, you, when you were in Baidu, actually, uh, were you... You were also working on the back end for the self-driving car. I mean, the infrastructure, right? Is that right? That's correct. Uh, I mainly work on the system part, uh, which I was going to discuss next. The system part consists of three major parts. Uh, first, it, you need an operating system to combine everything together. Uh, second, uh, how do you design the hardware infrastructure to support all these computation and all these algorithms? The third part, and we do have a cloud for the self-driving car. How do we um, uh, get the data in efficiently? What kind of computation we do over there? <laughs> There are these three parts I would like to uh, discuss. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, first yeah. part is about uh, the system. Most of the robotic companies or uh, research community, they use a ROS-based system, ROS being a robotic operating system, because ROS provides this mechanism, a node-based mechanism, such that each node will host a, a kind of task, and then the nodes can communicate with each other, uh, such that, for example, if there's a node for camera sensor, then it will grab the data and send message to the next node, which is the deep learning uh, evaluation pipeline, for example. Then you have two nodes communicating with each other. Uh, but the original raw system, there, there, there are some problems. For example, there's only one master node, such that if the master node crashes, the whole system would crash. For example, the second problem is communication. Uh, if you have two nodes on the same machine, they use a loopback mechanism to so go down to the TCP IP pipeline and go up again. Uh, it has a long latency. So there are a lot of problems to be solved. So at Baidu, one of the projects we did is to uh, do our own version of a ROS system, such that it, if it turns off communication, it's resilient, such that it's uh, a not no longer a single master uh, distributed system. And then we added some uh, resource isolation and security mechanism in a container-like environment, such that you launch a container for each node, then this uh, use resource in such uh, one in, in one node uh, in such a way that it can crash other nodes. So these are a lot of work to be done, uh, to be done to make ROS reliable for uh, safety critical autonomous driving scenarios. So that's one thing. Uh, the second thing is about hardware. Hardware, uh, it's very interesting uh, when you put uh, hardware. Uh, because most of the computation are done locally, so you need to put some computers into your autonomous uh, vehicle. For example, one of the uh, computers we put into a autonomous vehicle, it's a, a high-end Intel CPU plus 8 GPU. They combine at peak, they can consume 3,000 watts of power. That's enormous. Wow. Uh, besides the power, uh, it generates enormous amount of heat, so you need a heat dissipation mechanism. Uh, so usually you see this autonomous driving car especially the first generation, they have a fan in the back of the car just to do heat dissipation. 
Wow. Um, so that that raises another challenge. How do we design cars? We can discuss later. Uh, we, we have a small prototype that's very interesting that we do some of the tasks of autonomous driving on a mobile device that consumes less than, say, 20 watts. So, but, but that's really going into the extreme. Uh, the third part is about the cloud infrastructure for autonomous driving. The first thing you need is, say, for Google, they collect uh, thousands of hours of data. And then when they test their new algorithm, they need to run the algorithm against this raw data. But if you do it on a single machine, it will take forever. Then the productivity goes to hell. So uh, to solve this problem, at Baidu, we built a pipeline. It's a Spark-based system. Uh, we combine Spark and uh, ROS, the robotic operating system, together, such that we can use a distributed pipeline to launch, say, for example, uh, 2,000 instances at a time to uh, run these simulations in parallel. By doing this way, we can uh, improve performance by, say, uh, 200 volts, such that a simulation, which usually takes uh, 100 hours, would now take under 30 minutes to finish. So uh, this way, we greatly improve our productivity and uh, reduce the pipeline of producing uh, new algorithms. So the simulation platform, uh, what kinds of things are you simulating? Oh, for example, for standard data set. Uh, for example, there's a data set called Kitty, K-I-T-T-I. That's a very standard data set. Uh, that collects uh, raw data of LIDAR, raw data of camera, uh, and so on. Then you run this, uh, say, for example, camera data. You run it through the pipeline, and then say you have a new object recognition algorithm. Then you can compare uh, how your algorithm works against some other object recognition algorithms. We can do, say, pedestrian uh, recognition. That's one thing. And LIDAR, say you have a new localization algorithm. You want to check how accurate your algorithm against other existing algorithms, then you can run this offline collected data against this algorithm that you just designed. By doing these offline experiments on the cloud, then, then you, you get a sense of how well your algorithm would perform on an online scenario. So it's interesting what the, the platform you describe requires a lot of uh, different skills, right? So you talk, you've you talked about distributed computing, cloud computing, data pipeline, and then that's correct, and then hardware. Right. So to assemble a team like this, you need uh, people from many, many different backgrounds. That's correct. Uh, it's autonomous driving is not one single technology. It's a collection of many, many technologies together. And then big data seems to be very, very critical. I mean, uh, having having a team that uh, knows the big data technologies well and cloud computing is very critical. That's very critical. Uh, I always believe that big data it provides the fuel for uh, autonomous driving and provides the fuel for uh, AI in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, uh, but then, as you pointed out, everything starts with the hardware. Right, so the sensing and heat, being able to account for energy and heat, all of that is hardware. That's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. So, uh, are you still following kind of uh, the recent developments in uh, self-driving vehicles? Yeah, I've been always following this uh, industry. It's a very interesting industry. Yeah, because now, now you have your own startup uh, called PerceptIn.io, and so right. tell us a little right. bit about the. What kinds of problems are you folks trying to address? Right. At Perceptin, we actually, uh, the name itself is very interesting. It means perception, uh, insight, and intelligence. Uh, so uh, in this company, we work on robotic technology in general, including localization, deep learning, and uh, low-cost hardware for, for robots. So the overall philosophy, uh, to make a whole robot system or AI system work, you need three parts. You need to be able to perceive your environment. That's the perception part. Then once you perceive the environment, you generate a lot of data. You want to make sense of this data. So you, from this data, you gain insight. 
So the insight part is actually the big data pipeline. We talk about how we extract meaningful from the big data pipeline. Um, then once you have the meaningful information, you can generate intelligence. For example, you can train new models and then put this model back to uh, your robot to make it work better. So it's actually these three parts working together beautifully that makes this AI system uh, work. So it's perception, insight, and intelligence. But you, uh, specifically, you, but you're not uh, you're not to, building robots. Yeah, you're, you're not building uh, robots yourselves, right? Uh, today we are not building robots ourselves. We are providing solutions uh, to robot makers. Interesting. So, so describe some of these solutions. For example, we have an indoor localization solution. Uh, uh, in autonomous driving, we, we usually use a lidar to do outdoor uh, localization. Uh, and then for outdoor localization today, uh, you can use GPS as well. It's just less accurate. But for indoor, there's no very good solution. Um, there are some solutions that use uh, multiple Wi-Fi triangulation to localize your current location, but that depends on the deployment of other sensors. Uh, so we work on a technology called Insight Out SLAM, uh, SLAM meaning simultaneous localization and the mapping. That means you, as you walk, you generate a map of your environment, and then you localize yourself against the map in that environment. So by Insight Out, we mean um, we don't need any external sensor. We just need a camera and a, for example, an IMU sensor, such that you place uh, your location uh, in the building. So and the how, prototype so we as did, as we used- So as, you, as I enter a new building, how, right. how much, I mean, do I have to walk across, uh, throughout the entire building in order to map it first? Is that how it works? Oh, you don't have to map it first. The beauty of SLAM is simultaneous localization and mapping. So as you walk, you generate a map. And as you generate a map, you localize yourself. So as you enter the hallway, uh, the first scene you see is the hallway. Then at that point, uh, you have the map of the hallway already. Uh, and then as you walk into the first, say, living room, for example, then as the camera captures the living room, then it will generate the map of the living room. Interesting. So it seems like something that, uh, as you describe it, uh, it, it does make sense that if, if I have a robot, I can use your technology to make my robot even smarter. That's correct. That's our uh, ultimate goal. And so, so by the way, for those of us who don't follow kind of the robotics industry, is there already now a market for, uh, I guess, personal robots? Are there all sorts of personal robots that people are now using? Yeah. The most interesting personal robot that people use that they don't even recognize that's a robot, it's the the robot cleaner. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually the personal robot. Um, for example, the, the, the iRobot series uh, cleaner, uh, I, we see it as a uh, in-home personal robot. And so then uh, if, I, if I, at some point, I can attach your technology to these types of robots and they would have a better sense of their location. Of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. So that makes sense actually for the, uh, like the robot vacuum cleaners who constantly make mistakes and bump into things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, they still use a random walk mechanism today, such that they randomly walk around, explore the house. Uh, then they use a statistical model to say, hey, if I can cover 90% of the floor, then the cleaning is done. But that's no intelligence. That's just random walk. But with uh, this SLAM technology, I'm sure they can uh, make sure that 100% of your house is covered. So with SLAM, uh, SLAM is, uh, is that... Uh, oh most of the computation then is being done on your hardware locally there's no yeah. there's no cloud backend right yes uh there's no cloud backend everything is done locally. but then uh, do you how do you get uh make the uh, algorithm better and better over time you just 
how, in other words, as I generate more and more data about a building, how, how does my uh, SLAM chip get smarter? Oh, um, that's a very good question. The data that you generate, uh, the map data especially, it's not that big, surprisingly. Uh, it's very small. Say, uh, in our office, we have uh, about 2,000 square feet office. The map, it's about 20 megabytes. That's it. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So because we uh, shrink a lot of information, uh, we have a 3D map, for example. We can uh, compress the information to keep the 2D layer, such that uh, for a cleaning robot, for example, it does not have to understand the whole 3D information. It just to to understand what's on the floor, uh, what obstacles to avoid on the floor. So it only requires 2D information. That's the way how we shrink the whole map size. So the SLAM technology now exists. So people can actually license and use it now. That's correct. It's been around uh, in the research community for over 10 years. Uh, but recently, uh, since the robot industry and the autonomous driving industry is booming, and then people pay more attention to SLAM. So then what are, what are some of the other things that you're excited about in terms of, so you, you have taken the SLAM uh, technology and uh, made it real. So what are some of the other things you're excited about? It's the whole integration that excites me. Uh, just like autonomous driving, it's not a single technology that, that makes things work. It's a combination. You need smart hardware, power-efficient hardware, uh, SLAM, uh, deep learning to recognize, say, the, the wire on the floor, uh, which part of the floor is dirty or not. These kind of scenarios uh, do require deep learning technology. Uh, how do we build a system that combine all these algorithms together uh, and work efficiently? That's really a challenge, and that really excites me. Yeah, in the uh, Shaoshan, in the uh, self-driving car, as you described it, uh, the infrastructure, the big data infrastructure, is key. But for some of these technologies, maybe you'll you'll have to do all of the computation locally, right? So that's correct. That's correct. Uh, we do computation locally as much as possible. Then we send some data back to the cloud for uh, better processing. And then, uh, but uh, you face the same challenges around the energy <laughs> consumption and heat. In all of these things? Uh, no, we do. Uh, we do not. Uh, actually, that's the the topic I wanted to discuss. Uh, autonomous driving, for example. Uh, uh, to me, autonomous driving localization is not much different from uh, if they could do autonomous driving uh, using 3,000 watts of power and eight GPU and one high-end CPU. Can we do some of that uh, function on a mobile device? Uh, and we did. We did. Um, what we did is we have a localization engine that can generate uh, 30 updates per second. So you get 30 location updates per second. And then uh, at the same time, it's doing uh, object recognition using deep learning. Uh, so it's able to uh, do deep learning three to four times a second simultaneously. Uh, on top of that, uh, this pipeline is able to drive a robot at about five miles per hour. It's not very fast, but if you think about it, it's a cell phone uh, that consume just a little bit around 15 watt, then it can enable a hardware robot to uh, drive itself at five miles per hour. Uh, then imagine if one day we can use 10 cell phones, uh, 20 cell phones, there's still not much uh, cost-wise and uh, energy-wise. We might be able to drive the whole autonomous car uh, right, right. at, say, uh, 60 miles per hour. Right, right. You know, what's interesting, uh, as I'm, as I'm uh, processing what you've... Uh, uh, th what we've discussed here so far is that, you know, I mean, when uh, when people talk about AI, sometimes they get caught up in the perception stage, which is the kind of the deep learning part of the stack. But then as you describe it, it's really, you know, if you think about it as an end-to-end -end 
system, there's a lot of parts and, and deep learning is just one small part of it. That's correct. That's exactly my point. Yeah. And, and that, that, that seems to be something that uh, we will see in all these systems, not just self-driving cars, right? So you need to really solve... That's correct. Or the intelligent system. Yeah. You yes. need to solve a series of problems. That's correct. Yeah. So I think that actually, uh, do you think that at least in the short term, the types of AI we will see are very are going to be these very very focused systems, right? So a system that can drive a car, uh, a system, a robot that can help you clean your house better, right? So and and even solving those problems will require a lot of integration of uh, that's of, correct of all these technologies. That's correct. And so you must be happy to have had the opportunity to study hardware now now that's coming in handy huh? yeah i'm glad otherwise i wouldn't be able to do this yeah yeah that's yeah, right yeah yeah because yeah. uh I, I, at least when you were in baidu you got the uh, the big data uh background in place right so now in a startup where you have to do more things you actually need to build these systems end to end right so that's correct so what kind what other kinds of applications are you excited about for uh, these technologies well, every time this new piece of technology coming out, it in, enables many applications. Um, what I'm excited about is, uh, say, for example, this Slam technology that we are working on, it enables AR. Uh, you can do, say, a Pokemon Go game instead of going outside. Uh, with the Slam technology, you can uh, do this Pokemon Go, uh, say, on your dining table. <laughs> you can play with the monster over there. Uh, and VR. The VR game, uh, we can enable VR games. Uh, you have your goggle on, then now we can track your head movement. Instead of just turning the head, you can uh, do translation movements, move uh, forward, backward, left and right. It's using SLAM technology. And of course, robotics. Uh, we use SLAM to localize the robot within a building. Uh, so there are many, many uh, applications that could be enabled by uh, combining this deep learning, SLAM, and uh, smart hardware technology. Right, right, right. So are you are you you're still uh, uh, working on big data technologies too, right? So Spark and Alexio and all these things. At some point, as you get more data, those those types of skills will still come in handy, right? Of course, of course, it's a must. Again, it, it fuels AI. Big data fuels AI. Yeah. Well, Xiaoshan, this has been great, and hopefully by the time this uh, podcast comes out, we would have that blog post that uh, I was describing earlier. Of course. All right. Thank of course. You. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. You can follow Shaoshan Liu online at perceptin.io. Thank you for joining us. If you like the show, you can subscribe through iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn.com or SoundCloud and never miss an episode. Mm-hmm.